host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Harmon Dial. Harmon, what's going on, man? Jacked up for the playoffs. I mean, day one was uh, definitely lived up to the hype. A couple overtime finishes there. Kings coming back. I mean, first round of the playoffs is always the best. It feels like there's always a million things going on at once. So I'm jacked up. It's uh, it's the best time of the year. Now, is that a play on words because we're going to do Devils Rangers here jacked up? Is that your No, segue not intentional. Talking about Jack Hughes. Is all that time you spent with I wish I was Thomas that smart. Trans? I wish I was that smart. No, I'm not. Um, okay, good. Well, that's what we're going to do. So the plan for today is we are going to preview the remaining round one series that I haven't done yet in the PDO cast. It's all the series that start here on Tuesday as we're recording. We're going to do Devils Rangers. We're going to do Avs Kraken. And we're going to do Golden Knights Jets. Um, I recommend listening, even though the other series have started. If you haven't checked it out yet, go listen to the uh, other previews we've done so far. We'll do more of the same here rather than focusing on just predictions or, or kind of like superficial stuff we're going to try to dive into what's going to make these series interesting what to look for help people prepare uh so they can get the most out of these games because there's obviously once the games start going it's it's the action is fast and furious and there's just so much to keep up with so let's start with devil's rangers what is the most interesting part of the series to you the most interesting part is okay so right off the bat let me say i actually like the rangers a lot mm-hmm. right when you think about eager sisterkin getting hot down the stretch Top nine is skilled. Top four on, on the back end has been rounding into form. But for me, the Devils are probably the least favorable stylistic matchup for them. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is the Rangers is, as a team aren't very fast. And the Devils are speed demons. Yeah. It's watching them, watching the Devils fly up and down the ice. That's not an ideal sort of play style, I think, for the for the Rangers. So... I'm going to be curious. The most interesting thing that I'm look, watching for in this series is can the Rangers contain the Devils of speed? Because if they can, especially because of the advantage they have in net, they're going to win the series. But as we saw in the regular season, and of course the regular season is a lot different, mm-hmm. but Devils were 3-0-1, and we saw their fast-break offense really work on the counterattack. Certainly. Well, the Devils were the first in rush offense by pretty much any way you want to look at it whether it's like entries shots scoring chances the rangers weren't necessarily a slouch themselves in in the rush and i'm gonna i'm gonna get on more on that in a minute i think the way they do it is just wildly differently Mm -hmm. the devils are first in rush chances i said 7.4 per game via sport logic first in rush shots Corey schneider had them averaging more than 20 rush shots per hour at 515 jack hughes himself 0.01 individual rush chances per game away from Connor mcdavid for leading the league and they also had Timo Meyer was fifth, Nico Hischier was ninth, and that doesn't even include Jesper Bratt, who's an absolute menace in transition himself. Um, here's the thing, though. I-, I think people will point to the game changing, as you mentioned, in the playoffs, right? Not only can we not parse regular season matchups head-to-head beca- because of different lineups and different motivations and all that, but also the game slows down a little bit. Some of these chances are tougher to come by, right? We know that. I still think this Devils team is ultimately going to be able to get theirs because, as you mentioned, the Rangers, they're not a slow team, but they won't be able to keep up with them from a from a foot speed and pace perspective. And that's not even a knock against this group because I actually, I really like Adam Fox, obviously, as everyone yeah. does. I love Keandre Miller. I think they're going to have capable defenders on the ice. But I would say this about pretty much every team other than maybe like the Hurricanes and 
I guess like the Avs or Bruins, like very few teams would be actually be able I'd be like, all right, they can actually match the Devils toe to toe if they want to get into a, a rush game. It's going to be a problem for anyone. So I don't necessarily view that as like a knock against the Rangers. It's just more of a praise of yes, what this exactly. Devils offense is capable of. A hundred percent. And related to that, it's going to be really interesting. We're obviously New York within their top nine has a lot of players when you look at the likes of Panarin and, and Kane specifically, uh, who love to sort of make highly skilled, creative plays. And, and I think for the Rangers as a team, it's going to be important. The, the biggest question is, how do you allow that top nine to cook offensively without taking too many risks uh, in terms of your offensive zone entries? Because if you turn the start turning the puck over at the offensive blue line, that's, like, that's the exact opportunities where the Devils are just going to be off to the races. So... If they can, if they can essentially kind of turn this into a half court game, the Rangers, yep. that's where I think they'll sort of have an advantage. Well, here's the thing: the Devils made a big jump this year in diversifying their offense as well. They're clearly their bread and butter is the rush game and transition. Right? They want to attack you moving downhill. They did get better. At least they got to like somewhere around the middle of the pack in like forecheck offense, in cycle chances, in trying to find different ways to beat you beyond that initial foray into the zone. And if they don't score on that rush chance, they're coming back the other way and you get a chance against them, right? Like they did a much better job of retrieving the puck, hunting after it, establishing possession, cycling it, and getting second and third opportunities. I think that's going to be tested in this series because that's where I think the battleground is going to be won. And, and the reason I point that out is the Rangers themselves, as I said, are eighth in rush shots, but they're 23rd in entries per 60. So the volume isn't there but the efficiency is, and that's how they attack you off the rush. They're not going to just go full bore, all five guys just going up and down the ice freely the, the way the Devils do sometimes. They're going to wait for you to make a mistake, and then they're going to counter. They're one of the best counter teams in the league, right? And so if the Devils, whether it's like youthful exuberance or overzealousness or you know a lot of these guys, this is their first sort of like bright lights opportunity like this in the playoffs, if you get a bit carried away, you find yourself getting too deep in the zone, you find yourself overcommitting, this Rangers team is going to quickly punish you. And so if the guys get too far um, on the wrong side of the puck in the offensive zone, the Rangers are going to all of a sudden sense a little window, either high in the defensive zone or in the neutral zone, and they're going to go three on two, two on one. And I think that's that was kind of their calculus for why they went after guys like Tarasenko and Kane beyond just like the big name value of them and what their reputations are around the league as players. It's that they know they're not going to beat the Devils in a volume game like they're going to mm -hmm. give up more than the devils do but they're banking on if we have panarin and the other team doesn't our rush chances are going to generate more goals more efficiently because of our high level passing and shot making because of some of the players they have so that's where this game i think is going to be decided the devils are going to get their rush chances but then if they're not able to sustain beyond that because the Rangers, we should say, do have Igor Shesterkin in net. And I don't yeah. think they're going to, they're not going to, they shouldn't expect to score on every single rush opportunity they get. If they're not able to sustain beyond that and the pucks all of a sudden starts going back the other way, that's where, like, that's where I think the Rangers want to play this game. Yeah. And that's where the Rangers, as you were kind of alluding to, they don't need, they're, they're a team that you consistently watch them and they don't need a, a really high volume of shots and scoring chances to really. Um, score and, 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 and sort of win games, especially when you have one-shot scorers like Mika Zibanejad. Uh, even last last season, the, the Rangers didn't really control 5-5 five five play that dominantly, per mm -hmm. se, uh, even when you when you looked at their metrics. And yet, they're, they were just kind of this team that, especially now when you have uh, 
you know, a player like Patrick Kane is, is another example classic over the last decade where sometimes the shot metrics aren't great, but what you can't account for is when he makes a crossing pass across the slot, you don't need many of those for, for that to, for that to convert. So that's going to be interesting. I think, you know, the matchup sort of when it comes to the second and third lines are really interesting to me because both teams are, are pretty deep in terms of their top nine. A couple of keys that I'm looking for are Panarin needs to be dominant at five on five. I think mm-hmm. we didn't, I, he had the point totals last postseason, but I was still left wanting more in terms of his game breaking ability, uh, his dynamic skill. And if you look at a scenario where, let's say the Devils go go out and say we're going to ma- ma- match up uh, Nico Hishier up against the Zibanejad line, then you want that sort of extra game breaker on that second line, especially because this, the flip side of the equation is, well, last year the difference maker for the Rangers was the kid line, mm-hmm. but the Devils right now have Timo Meyer on the third line, which sort of you know really gives them the ability to uh, feast on you know some of those secondary matchups as well. Well, and that was a big um, area of emphasis for the Rangers last postseason. That's why their like home road splits were as divided as they were because when they were on the road, like Zabinajad was getting fed those matchup minutes against you know against like Jordan Stahl in the Kane series, um, and 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 that gave them some trouble. Whereas at home they were able to free him up a little bit finally, and then and then they needed him for offense. And this that's why exactly what you're saying, right? They're going to need Panarin if he's going to get freed up a little bit away from the matchup minutes to to convert now. The Devils are the superior five-on-five team, yeah. right? Like, and and you'd say that for most teams. They're third in shot share this year, first in high danger chance share, second in expected goal share, and fourth in actual goal share. I think they're going to control the series at five-on-five at least from like a possession and volume perspective. But you know, Jack Hahn had two interesting notes. He recently put out this like book about hockey tactics um, and kind of the way teams set up in various states of the game. And he made a note of how the Devils like to attack you in the offensive zone off their sets, where it's they get all three forwards really low. They kind of like to create this triangle uh, below the hash marks, and then their defensemen are very aggressive. Like they, the weak side guy comes crashing out of the net. You can visualize Dougie Hamilton yeah. kind of trying to make himself available, and then a brilliant pass from Jack Hughes or Nico Hishier hitting him cross seam, and then he all of a sudden, that's how he scores 20-plus goals this year, right? Um, that's kind of what I'm talking about where the Devils need to be careful when they play that way, though, because mm-hmm. all of a sudden – if your forwards are that low and then your defensemen are streaking down for those opportunities, it's great when it works. And I think they have to they have to stick to that because that's their brand and that's what got them to this point. But that's where I can foresee the Rangers kind of counterattack crushing them at times, right? Where all of a sudden you have four skaters down low, the puck bounces weird off the boards, and all of a sudden you're looking up and it's like, oh, the Rangers have a three-on-one. And, and that's where you get into trouble when one of those three guys is a Panarin or Kane. So, um, yeah, discipline and commitment are going to be huge, and that goes for... I mean, you can say that for any series. We know that at the start of these postseason series, they call more penalties and then it evens out as the series goes along. They kind of try to set the tone for it. The Rangers' power play was really good all year. But if you look at, like, since they made the trades and then they basically, their five-man set was Fox, Panarin, Kreider, Zubinajad, and then one of Tarasenko or Kane, they were scoring, like, 15 or 16 goals per hour in those 30-plus games. And... The Devils are going to want to play this series. What I'm trying to say is, at my, like, literally every single minute of five on five as they possibly can, because once you start getting in the box and giving them those extra offensive opportunities, that's where I think this series evens out and potentially even shifts in, in New York's favor. Yeah, and we saw it um, when the Rangers sort of played Carolina last last uh, spring as well, where uh, 
you know, Carolina superior five and five team, but the Rangers, it's like they scored a power play goal a game and the, and the, and the Hurricanes can score it all. And so the, the game was won and lost um, on special teams there. So absolutely like discipline's going to be huge there. The other sort of, the other interesting narrative that has sort of come out and I've really, you know, tried to consider it is the whole aspect of obviously, as we know in the playoffs, the intensity, physicality sort of ramps up and mm-hmm. that can sort of t- uh, tend to suit teams that are a little bit heavier. And there's, I think, this mainstream narrative that the Devils are um, a small team. Do you buy that? Because, for for instance, on the back end, you've got guys like Ryan Graves, yeah. um, Dougie Hamilton, Oh, he, although he's not physical, but like their back end yeah. is pretty big, and yeah, they, they have some, some small they got some meat to them. Yeah, and, and and sure, they have some you know small like slider players, forward, right. forwards, um, but even when you look at guys like Hishier or Mercer who aren't very big, they're very scrappy, and they win battles, which sort of compensates. And of course, you you add somebody like T- Timo Meyer. I don't think that like once I started thinking about that further. I was like, I don't know if the size factor is going to... Of course, they're going to be a disadvantage at it relative to the Rangers, but I don't know that it's going to be necessarily this huge weakness uh, for them in the series. No, I don't think so either. I think, I think, you know, part of it is experience. Obviously, the Rangers made that deep run last year with pretty much this entire team, right? They made a few changes on the margins, whereas this Devils team is relatively inexperienced. I think that's going to be an element of this in terms of, like, the discipline and potentially, like, getting, getting like staying disciplined staying committed to to the way you play as opposed to like making occasional mistakes or getting carried away you know the Meyer one is interesting because he does add a lot of that size and I think they brought him in for a series like this because he can punish the Rangers off the rush but he also ties into what I was saying where the Devils want to find a way to retrieve more pucks in the offensive zone and then cycle it around have Timo Meyer crash the net and try to find like greasier ways to to beat an Igor Shesterkin as opposed to just being one and done off the rush. Him and Mar- him and Ma- him and Mercer are are going to be keys for me in yeah. that regard in this series. And Mercer is a player I talk about on this podcast constantly, but he's one of the most annoying players I've noticed in the league to like deal with in front of the net. Even though he is, I guess, technically viewed as like undersized or just like a normal size. He's not a, like a big power yeah. forward, but he's so like uh, irritating, but also good with his timing when he puts a stick down when he goes after it that I constantly see bigger defenders struggling to clear him in front of the net or tie up his stick for whatever reason and so the Devils are at some point in the series going to need to find ways to to score goals like that on Chesterkin right there's not going to be a lot of clean opportunities or as many as they had in the regular season and so this is why you go out and acquire a Timo Meyer. and I'm very curious to see you mentioned his usage if they're going to load up the lines at some point or if they're going to stick with this sort of one two three approach where he's playing on a third line with Hall and Boquist I think they're going to start off that way but I assume if the offense stagnates yeah. we're going to see them trying to quickly go to the nuclear option instead yeah I'm curious to get your take on first of all I think for the Rangers Keandre Miller is a mm-hmm. really important x factor just because we know that we know the Rangers top pair is going to be excellent um, of course of course I think we've seen the Rangers' second pair probably started the season a bit slower than you would have expected. Uh, but then Keandre Miller has really come on recently. Yep. And when you look at his ability to to defend the rush and that combination of the size and the long reach and the ability to actually sort of keep up with some of these Devils players, Devils forwards, um, I think that's going to be sort of essential, especially uh, when you're talking about defending sort of second and third lines. And then the other aspect of it in terms of New York second pair is obviously – they're going to need to need to get the best out of Jacob Trouba. Like this yeah. is, it's going to be, 
I'm really fascinated to see how he performs because I think it was clear at the start of the season that he was sort of playing through something that he wasn't fully healthy. I think it was maybe something related to his hand and you could sort of see that he wasn't really able to make plays with the puck on the breakout. He was sort of running out of position and there were, like he yeah. just he just looked awful. There was a lot of glass. And out, and yeah. of course he's looked a lot a lot better since. But um yeah, even with somebody like Truba, is he going to get carried away in terms of like trying to chase big hits yeah. and put himself out of position? Or can he find that right balance where he becomes sort of an intimidating presence from that standpoint? I think the Rangers' second pair is really like I could see a variety of sort of outcomes in terms of how they perform, and that could really go far in swinging the balance and how New York's blue line fares compared to New Jersey's. Well, and that's why I think Keandre in particular is such a key in this series, not only defensively with his ability to cover ground and recover and keep up with some of these Devils forwards, but I think offensively. Like, I think they're going to need – he has every once in a while these moments of brilliance where he takes the puck and then all of a sudden goes coast to coast and makes a play with it himself. Like, I think the Rangers need – you can't expect that every time, but they need him to make some more plays on the breakout and kind of beating this forecheck because the Devils get very aggressive on the forecheck, right? Like, as soon as they surrender possession in the offensive zone, their defensemen, instead of retreating, move forward kind of like the Avs do to try to sort of surf with you and try to kill plays deep and keep the puck in that end of the ice, right? And if they're going to do that all the time, the Rangers are going to need to find ways to to get around that and actually get the puck out beyond just going off the glass and out every time. And you're, you know you're going to get that from Fox. I think Keandre's going to need to do a lot of that heavy lifting because I think at this point I would not expect yeah, Jacob no. Truba to be a four-check buster in yeah. that way, right? And so a lot of that, but he literally led the entire postseason Keandre Day last year in 5-on-5 usage. He played the most yeah. minutes out of any, any player. And so like we've seen him do it last year. He's been even better and taking another step this year. So I don't think it's unrealistic to expect that from him. But you're right, that's... I think it's just because of the certainty, you know what you're going to get from Fox and Lindgren, that in this case, that's what kind of swings that series in that regard. So I think that's a that's a good point. Um, I don't know. Do you want to talk about goalies? Like I, I, I'm not a goalie. I'm not a huge goalie guy. It is interesting. Like I did. Uh, I talked to our pal Kevin Woodley because mm-hmm. he is a goalie guy. Yes. and I tend to defer to experts on this one. Um, and just in trying to because like we know what Shesterkin is, right? He had I think it would have been maybe a little bit. You may not have looked at that as such a huge advantage if Shesterkin hadn't caught fire recently because mm-hmm. overall it's been a pretty yeah. average Especially season. Especially compared to last year. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But him going hot into the postseason, he's picked up momentum at the right time. With the, the, I think the big bigger question is obviously like uh, Vanacek, right? Yeah. And that's where, you know, in, in my conversations with Woodley, the way he sort of described it is Vanacek, first of all, he, he was pretty solid for, for, the, for the entire season. Yep. And overall... He seems like the type of goaltender that he isn't going to make unforced errors, right? He isn't going to beat himself, uh, but he doesn't obviously have the ability to sort of steal games the way Shesterkin does. Again, the way Woodley kind of put it was Vanacek is like a high floor, low ceiling type of guy as a a goaltender in, in, for example, fantasy football terms. And that's where the defensive environment in front of him, as long as the Devils are or sort of solid in that area, it shouldn't be too much of a liability from that from that standpoint. Yes, yeah, Logic had Vanacek for the year at around two goals save above expected. So yeah. that I mean, which is perfectly fine, especially yeah. given how good their offense was. Nine thirteen save percentage. Shesterkin for the year finished at nine fifteen. He had nine thirty four in the final fifteen yeah. games from March first on, and so that's like 
catching fire and kind of being more of what we expected from him after last year. So I think that's going to be clearly a big one. And I think that, you know, the Rangers have a edge in that way. I think the Devils are going to have to find ways to get around that. I don't think that's like a shocker to hear. I think yeah. everyone's kind of expecting that heading in. So you're right. I don't think there's – I think it's kind of self-explanatory in that way. I guess my one final point on this series that I want to talk to you about is Luke Hughes. We saw him play two games at the end, in particular in the last one, where you know the Devils were still, I guess, theoretically competing for getting out of this matchup and winning the Metro. They didn't, didn't wind up mattering because the Hurricanes won their own final game. But they sort of like unleashed him. They gave him full usage. He was out there. He obviously scored the uh, the highlight reel OT yeah. winner. I'm really curious to see not only if they're going to use him in this series, but how they're going to use him in this series. I haven't seen anything necessarily yet definitive in that regard. They're kind of playing their cards close to their vest, at least at the time of recording. I assume that at home with last change, they'll feel more comfortable dressing him and potentially going 11 and seven and having him, um, you know, carefully curating his minutes because it's, it's tough to envision at least right out of the gate. And maybe this doesn't matter because he plays so well in games one and two at home in that role that they feel more comfortable. But if this series was starting in New York, I would have a tough time imagining Lindy Ruff starting a third pair of him and David Zierson, just considering like how the perception of that is like, oh, that's way yeah. too risky. How are we going to use these guys? And then getting in situations where you're just running two pairs because you don't trust those guys. Um, so it's going to be up to him to obviously play well and kind of and keep it going and, and cement it. But from what I saw, at least, it was as advertised and the potential and the, the intrigue of like how much he can create and add to what the Devils already do so well is so captivating to me that I would have a really difficult time not experimenting with getting him as many shifts as I could because we're talking the Devils have a lot of offense. They're going to need to find creative ways to to get by uh, Igor Shosturkin while having another game breaker who can create amazing looks for you with his with his speed and skills is one way to do that as opposed to going the other way and sort of conventionally just playing everyone based on their role. Yeah, Luke Hughes was dominant in the NCAA. So we obviously saw, we obviously saw Kale McCarr um, when he first signed out of college at the end of the season, airdrop right into the playoffs, and, and he was great, right? Um, you know, of course, Minnesota as well, just signing Brock Faber. And, you know, he showed well towards a couple of games that he played at the end of the regular season, and he looked good in, in, uh, in game one there. So... It is interesting, like, if, if it was a better stylistic fit in terms of who he could be partnered with on the right right uh, right side, mm-hmm. I don't even think it would be a question. It, it would just be like, oh, that, like this is such a straightforward, easy sort of decision. But I think that is probably something that makes the coaching staff at least think twice about being more careful about how exactly they, they deploy uh, Luke Hughes. Well, and if you look at if you look at Corey Snyder's tracking, like the Devils were really good at everything. One area they did kind of strangely struggle in was going back in their own zone and like cleanly retrieving pucks at times. And they like they would like make very uh, glaring mistakes and turnovers. And then if that winds up in the back of your net, especially in the postseason, you're just like pulling your hair out, being like, "Oh my god, I can't believe we let that happen." And so that's why I say like this idea of like perceived risk or kind of viewing it as like, "Oh, this is a bit too." Uh, a bit too dangerous or error prone for our liking. I think that's why you could see the devils go with like a more conservative lineup structure in that place. But at the same time, I know Lindy Ruff's been around for a long time, but he's doesn't really strike me as like a, like he's kind of a more offensively slanted coach in that regard. And sometimes like, like think of his stars team teams uh, in the mid 2010s, right? Like it was, it was go, go, go in that way. And so I, I don't know. I guess it comes down to what you're trying to accomplish. If you're just trying to grind out this series game by game and not make mistakes and just be like, all right, we're better at 5-1-5 than this Rangers team and we're going to just try to lean on that. 
I could see you just going with the traditional lineup. But if you're like, all right, what's our maximum ceiling and capability? And are we trying to win a Stanley cup this year? Then I think you have to, you have to try Luke Hughes and see how far that can take you. I think you have to. Yeah. I, I really, I really want to see him at some point in the series. I, I think, I think like you said, it has the potential to sort of give them an edge further down, further down the lineup. And, uh, and who knows? I mean, one sort of, even one, burst one sort of special play could you know and then playoffs can totally change the uh totally change the series yeah, for sure um yeah this is gonna be a fun one man like that i'm expecting these two teams to trade haymakers um it's gonna be back and forth it's gonna be exciting i think they match up very interestingly as we i hope we've highlighted here tactically so there's a lot to parse there is there any other notes on this series that you that you think we need to touch on while we're here i don't think so all right let's um let's take our break then and then when we come back, we're going to do the two other West series that have yet to start. You are listening to the Hockeypedia cast, as always, streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. still remaining let's do avalanche kraken this is a fascinating one because we mentioned regular season head-to-heads uh when we were talking devils rangers and how much we can sort of make of it what we can learn from it if you go back and watch the games these three teams these two teams played they played three games they were all one goal games the kraken won two of them they lost the third in a shootout um they held the avalanche to five total goals in those three games and they outshot them 100 to 70 in them now I think in general, regardless of opponent, I would say I'm not sure how much we can take from this Avalanche regular season because they had such like a rotating cast and revolving door and were missing key players at all times. And now they're, other than Landeskog, pretty much expected to have a full lineup heading into game one of this series. But I think from those games, a trend that carried over for the Kraken that we can extrapolate is they can clearly keep up with the Avs from a pace perspective and they can defend them tightly and at least give them some problems in that regard now whether it's going to be enough is a whole other conversation we're going to get into here but i do think like we can learn at least that from from watching those two games oh it's going to be such a fast series yeah. i'm i'm really looking forward it forward to it um in that way especially because the avs might have like and I shouldn't say it might have. They do have sort of game breakers and, yes. and, and a lot of like individual players who can deke through a ton of uh, deke through a ton of players, play fast through the neutral zone, that sort of thing. The Kraken just as a team play fast, mm-hmm. and, and sometimes they even play faster than they physically skate. Yeah. If that sort of makes yeah, sense, yeah, yeah. their forecheck can really sort of smother teams at at, at times, and and so that like from that perspective both teams being able to absolutely fly. I think it's going to be a really entertaining series, probably more entertaining than you might than you might expect. Um, on paper, you might go, oh, cracking against the defending cup champs. Oh, this is just going to be a boring snooze fest. It's going to be a sleepwalk for the abs. Like, no. I don't think that's going to be the case at all. I think this is going to be a really uh, entertaining uh, matchup. Yeah, if you're a, uh, an East Coast listener, I would highly recommend like trying to squeeze in a nap during the day so that you can stay up and and watch these games because i think they're going to be highly entertaining the matchup for me to watch and i think this is kind of like a obvious one the way this series is being built 
is Colorado's star power versus Seattle's depth, yeah. right? And in particular, I wanted to hone in on McKinnon and Rantanen versus the Kraken defense, which is obviously going to be like a depth approach in terms of how they're going to try to handle them or mitigate what they're able to do. I think the McKinnon Rantanen part of this is sort of like their exploits, I think, are well documented at this point, right? I'll, I'll give you a few stats just to just so we're all on the same page. But McKinnon had 77 re- even even strength points in 71 games this year. After the calendar flipped to 2023, he had 34 goals and 77 points in 47 games. Randon and himself scored 55 goals, 42 of which came at even strength, which was just one behind David Pasternak for the league lead. And anyone that plays the Avalanche is going to have to figure out how to put up some sort of roadblocks through the neutral zone to at least kind of like bump McKinnon and slow him down a little bit. Because if you allow him to build up speed and have that open runaway in the middle of the ice, it's lights out, right? Like no one can keep up with his combination of power and speed once he gets going. Now that's obviously easier said than done, but that's, I think, what the Kraken are going to have to do. And the reason why this is such a good matchup is because the Kraken were one of the best teams at defending the rush in the entire league. Yeah, and if you are able to slow that top line down, well, then this Avs team just isn't the same as last year in terms of their the quality of their middle six mm-hmm. and, and how much secondary scoring they have. I mean, even going back to last season, the Avs felt that their bottom six scoring was light, which is why they went out and, and got like an in. And of course, you played up lineup, and, and the impact there was, okay, you're bumping other guys down, and, and they slot more appropriately. But then from that environment, then you subtract, obviously, Landis Cog, you subtract Kadri, mm-hmm. uh, Burakovsky, who, ironically enough, you talk about Avs players getting uh, always being hurt, yeah. hurt. Yeah. former Av, uh, for Seattle's going to be out for uh, for the playoffs, that, or play, this playoff series. But they don't have the same level of um, sort of bottom six scoring the Avs, which then you obviously compare it to the Kraken, and it's like you have Daniel, Daniel Sprong who scored 21 goals, of course, some of those on the power play, but him roaming around on, on the fourth line, Brandon Tanev, who had 35 points roaming around on, on the fourth line. This is a deep, really sort of deep uh, team where it's like, I don't know if I've seen a comparable in terms of their that like unique structure where it's like, yeah, you might not have any stars, but to be that deep from one to four, like it's it, it's it's pretty special. Yeah. Okay, I have a lot of notes on the on the Kraken forwards. Let's let's before we move on to this, I want to finish uh, this idea of like the Kraken defense versus this Avs top line or the Avs in general. Um, oh, I will say you're mentioning the lack of depth, and certainly compared to last year, it's night and day for the Avs. But you mentioned the Kraken's forecheck. The Avs having Arturi Lekkinen and Valentushkin on the same line is going to be absolutely comical in terms of watching. Especially just, them just terrorize. Especially JT Comfer, yeah. like between between them, yeah. like that's as a second line, that's a half on breaking the puck out. Yeah, that's a, that's a coach's dream in terms of three guys that forecheck, backcheck impeccably, so, such responsible two way players, the quote unquote playing the game the right way. Like that's your poster child um, sort of line for that. Well, I think much of the onus on defending McKinnon and Rantanen is going to come down to that top pair of Larson and Dunn, which was kind of one of the best defense pairs in the league this season, right? And and Dunn scored a ton of points. And, and got a lot of attention for it, deservedly so. He totally changed his game around from last year. I think a big part of that was how just, like, reliable Adam Larson was as his defense partner and how well those two complement each other. Uh, our friend Allison Lucan wrote a great piece recently kind of highlighting the complementary skill sets of them, right? She noted that 
Larson is one of the best players at forcing you to dump the puck in to the zone in terms of rush defense. And then Dunn was one of the best players at going back, retrieving it, and breaking it out successfully. I think she noted that only Eric Carlson attempted and completed more stretch passes this season than Vince Dunn, and he like he totally t- toned down his turnovers and was such a big reason why they were able to play as fast as you noted, right? Because go back, retrieve the puck, quickly break it out. They're going to have to do that time and time again in this series. Like If they, if they want to have a chance of defending this Avs team, especially that top line, they're going to have to do it. We saw them have success against them in the regular season. Larson played 22 and a half minutes in those three games against McKinnon, and they held them to just the one goal and outshot them and outchanced them. And so like that's where this is going to be, where the series is going to be won or lost, because if they can just kind of stay at neutral and not get completely overwhelmed by the Avs top line, you're right. I think the depth, all of a sudden, the Kraken do have a legitimate chance to outscore them if like the first lines match up and then all of a sudden second, third, fourth lines, you're taking them. I actually... I don't know. I want to say I don't want to say I like them in this series, but I like their chances in terms of at least competing and giving the Az a real scare. Definitely, it, like you mentioned, it's just sort of been a perfect stylistic fit uh, between those guys. And uh, when I sort of crunched the numbers in terms of goal differential, yeah, it was uh, top five um, in the NHL in terms of how Seattle's top pair performed relative to every other uh, top pair in the NHL. And I think even when you when you look at I think Vince done the number of five on five goals that he was on the ice for and yeah. and Seattle generating. I think it was more than any other sort of defender in the NHL. I think he was. I'd have to double check. So I'm not certain, but I think he was even second in in five on five points among defensemen. So that's a definite X factor, especially because the safety net of Larson has freed Dunn up to sort of play such an aggressive style without worrying about. You know, if, if I if I am overly ambitious and I make a mistake, do I have a uh, a sweeper there to sort of, um, you know, be that compliment, yeah. clean up the clean up the defensive mess, put out defensive fires? So absolutely, that that top pair needs to translate. Just how effective they were, just how elite they were in the regular season. Now, here's my one concern about this matchup. I have a lot of concerns when you're talking about defending McKinnon and Rantanen, but you noted how um how like aggressively and tightly the Kraken defend that was reflected in a lot of Corey Schneider's tracking numbers because I think he noted in his preview that they 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 man up so tight on you in terms of like everyone is just so on top of their responsibility and their assignment and they don't give you a lot of space that if you get by that first guy there isn't a lot of defensive support around because they're like so up against everyone, right? Mm-hmm. There's not they don't they don't have a lot of like roamers who are just covering right open space in the middle of the ice. And so that's a concern against an Avalanche team that does have a lot of players whose expertise is beating you cleanly one on one just because they're more talented and faster and stronger than you are, right? Whether it is McKinnon or Ranton or McCarr or even a Byram, right? And so if they're able to beat that first guy, all of a sudden I think they're going to have a very um, they're going to have an attacking advantage in the middle of the ice that the Kraken are going to have to really um, reckon with. They're not going to obviously change the way they defend because they've had such success doing so, and and it worked for them in the regular season against the Avs. But I could see some breakdowns in that regard where you're playing up that aggressively on McKinnon, and if he gets by the first guy, he's just he's taking it to the net, and at that point, it's like, all right, well now you're trusting either Philip Grubauer or Martin Jones to make a save on a high danger shot, and that's not a very ideal spot yeah. to be in if you're the Kraken, right? So, Because a big part of their defensive defensive strength was limiting what they gave up and sort of um, surrounding their goalies with a good defensive infrastructure in front of them. And 
that's obviously going to be eliminated if all of a sudden they're having to go one-on-one against a star player. Well, that's the give and take of being an up-tempo forechecking team yeah. that likes to yeah, apply you're not, pressure. You're not, like, you're not just sagging back and letting them come Exactly. And there, and there are, I mean, very, very few teams who can do sort of what the Carolina Hurricanes do, for example, where it's like they can apply that pressure and yet it seems like they're almost always in position. If you're that sort of up-tempo forechecking style for pretty much a- any other team, you're, yes, the tight gaps you play when effective can sort of create problems and, and it can make it more difficult for the other team to to break out. But sometimes those super elite teams, uh, when they have the defense and forwards connected really well, they have the centers coming in deep, they have uh, wingers on the walls who can make plays, everybody sort of knows their responsibilities, can make quick uh, give and goes. Um like that's the sort of environment where then you beat one guy and you you have a lot of sort of open ice to 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 work with and and make plays off of uh, the rush particularly. So you're right. Like that's that's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out in the series. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Um, the Kraken scoring, as you mentioned, McCann scored 40 goals. They had 12 other players who had between 13 and 24 all situations goals, uh, including six guys with 20 plus. What a remarkable turnaround offensively. Just a year ago, they were 28th in 5-on-5 goals per hour. They led the league this season even more than than Boston, who was second. And, you know, when you have that type of a of a, of a spike, you look and it's like, all right, they also led the league in, in shooting percentage as well. Now, they clearly refined their offensive approach. I think part of it is just getting more talented players, right? Like they started taking fewer point shots. They started getting the puck into the slot more. But the tracking data shows that not a lot of it was fueled by you know, brilliant, um, like the, the Blues last year when they had their season, a lot of it was, okay, well, they're passing up um, good shots for great shots. They're working the puck behind the net and then getting it out in high danger areas. They're doing a lot of cross-seam stuff with Robert Thomas passing to Cairo and so on and so forth, right? The Kraken didn't really do that much of that this season. Like a lot of their goal scoring was just getting better shooters and then those guys just absolutely shooting the lights out and having preposterous efficiency. And it's worked so far. I think that's like a dangerous thing to be relying on time and time again. Um, but they certainly have a chance. Like if, if McCann is going to keep picking his corners and if strong is going to keep scoring at the rate he did, they certainly have guys who are at least going to make life difficult for Alexander Georgiev. It's just, it's, it's a very, um, it's a different offensive approach, I guess, in terms of generating the results than, than you typically see when a team starts scoring this way. Yeah, very unique, even when you speak about somebody like Tolvanen, who yep. they picked up uh, off waivers, giving them, you know, one-shot uh, scoring threat. I, I mean, I sort of, in the first half of the season, looked at their shooting percentage and went, okay, is, is this team going to... Like, they had built, built up such a cushion where it was like, okay, they're going to... They've banked too many points, they're going to make the playoffs. Yep. But I sort of looked at it and went, okay, could we see regression down the line? And there wasn't a whole lot of it. They were still scoring a lot of goals down the stretch, stretch here so it, it is going to be really interesting in, interesting to see the other matchup that um i'm curious to sort of um watch for is Seattle's penalty kill mm-hmm. which wasn't great in the first half but i believe down the stretch it was top 10 in the nhl and it makes sense when you look when you have guys like brandon yeah, Tanev and, and adam sure. larson and uh, along yeah. those lines so when we talk about seattle sort of having this this depth advantage and sort of shutting colorado's top guys down that also extends to the power play where Seattle's penalty kill has been really, really effective lately. Can they keep that up? Because if they can, like that's another area where 
Um, you can then sort of look at your, you know, the the third and fourth lines that you have and, and go, okay, maybe we can win those matchups. Well, especially earlier in the year, I know part of this was injury related, but there was a big stretch of time early in the season where the abs just like weren't scoring any five on five goals, but we're still getting by because their power play was just operating at a ridiculous rate. And that makes sense because when you're as top heavy as they are, well, on your top unit of power play, you have McKinnon, Ranton, and yeah. Car. Things are going to work out pretty well for you when you have those guys on the ice against one fewer skater. And so you're right, especially with how aggressively the, the Kraken are going to want to defend in this series and the star players on the other side and the Avs draw a ton of penalties because of the way they play. They have the puck. They also have a lot of stars who command a lot of respect from officials. I think that's a that's a really important part of the, of this series to watch. Um, yeah, no, this is going to be a fun one. I'm, I'm, I, I, I think people are underestimating how good this abs team can be if all these guys are healthy i will say though that i do have concerns about it it's like all right well mccarr is coming back in and manson's coming back in and byram's healthy now and, and all this stuff is great right now but it doesn't take a lot of injuries or unfortunate breaks to all of a sudden they don't have as much of a cushion i guess right yeah. no margin for error in that regard so they really need everything to be operating in its absolute ceiling but if it does i do think they can still reach a gear that very few teams in the league. Yeah, can, uh, and Seattle's match. goaltending obviously terrifies me. Yeah, I mean the Grubauer was better lately, and I think he. It's, it's interesting where in the first half of the season, Jones would pick up a lot more wins. Yep. But Grubauer's adjusted numbers were a lot better, and when you sort of looked at a lot of the underlying numbers, it was a case of, oh my goodness, the Kraken are just weirdly defending way better in front of Martin Jones than they are uh, for uh, Grubauer. So despite sort of Jones playing more games and, and winning more total games, uh, Grubauer, you know, he, he he's probably going to get the tap for free game one. And um, that's where obviously Georgiev, like this is important too. You alluded to the number of injuries the Avs had both up front and on the back end. Uh, I've scored less at five on five. They were a little bit more permissive def def mm -hmm. defensively as well. This wasn't a case of, okay, this is a goaltender playing competently behind an elite team. He was a big reason why, you know, for a long time, it was like six guys sort of carrying the abs. It was like McKinnon, Rantanen, yep. Makar, Taves, Alekinen, and, uh, and Georgiev back there in, in net. Like he played in a really active and crucial role. Um, in guiding them to the playoffs. And I think his adjusted save percentage, according to Clear Sights data, is 12th in the league this season among goaltenders. So he was legitimately really good. And Seattle's goaltending, I think, was um, 30th in, in team save percentage. So Yeah, and the, like the public models are being more generous to Grubauer and, and Martin Jones than at least SportLogic. I think SportLogic has them at a combined like negative 25 goals. Yeah, that sounds about right. Season. And, uh, and obviously, like both guys combined for a sub-900 save percentage, so so that's not surprising to anyone. But you're right, and, and they're going to be seeing a lot of uh, you know the shot quality that the Avs can yeah. generate from, from their top players is, is going to be scary. So, all right, let's do uh, Golden Knights Jets here. Uh, we got 10 minutes or so before we got to sign off. Um, here's my note for you. Vegas's defensive structure under Bruce Cassidy versus Winnipeg's offense. So the 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 Golden Knights made a massive change when they brought in Cassidy. They kind of the opposite of what we just said about the Kraken. They they started chasing a lot less defensively. They essentially sat back and were like, "You're not going to get anything in the middle of the ice." You look at their heat map on on Hockey Viz. They complete blue 
in between the two dots and all the way up the zone. And they just let you tire yourself out and fire shots from the margins in the offensive zone, from the boards and from the points, right? And they're like, all right, we'll live with that. And that's how you get a situation where they use five goalies, none of whom I would, you know, anyone would classify as a top elite goalie in the league and still get the seventh best save percentage in the league. The Jets, I think, have the capability to give them problems in some ways, but at the same time, I think they're kind of permissive in the way that, like, they sometimes, I don't know how to describe it, they have, like, a bit of a lack of, lack of ambition to them in my mind. Like, I think they'll sometimes go with whatever you give them, and if if the Golden Knights stick stick to playing this way and they're like, we are not giving you anything in the middle of the ice, I could see the Jets just being like, all right, yeah, we'll just take these point shots because that's what we have instead of trying to fight through it. And if that happens, it's going to be a long series offensively for Winnipeg. Yeah, and that's where Vegas's uh, blue line People in the hockey will just rave about how effective those guys have been. Obviously, Martinez and Petrangelo on the top pair. Then on the second pair, I mean, to have McNabb and Theodore, one of the best second pairs in the NHL. And then even Zach Whitecloud, mm-hmm. I think, is one of the more underrated defensemen in the NHL. Is a player who blocks shots, is really reliable defensively, doesn't give you a whole lot, plays a sort of play, you know, that prototypical playoff style that uh, is really effective in terms of breaking up plays on the cycle, winning uh, and boxing out effectively in front of the net, taking those crossing passes away. So that's where they have a decisive advantage over the Jets, who outside of Josh Morrissey, they have competent defensemen. They don't have high-end drivers. And that's where for Winnipeg, they need that power play to get going. Yeah. Like really badly. And of course, finally, they're, they're getting reps for uh, Ehlers on, on yeah. the top unit. And, and hopefully that clicks because Winnipeg's power play, um, obviously, I think it was like 22nd or yeah. 23rd in the way NHL. Way too low for the talent. Way, they way have. too low for the talent they have. And, and that's, and that's going to be key. And the special teams as a whole, I think that's the area where Vegas is vulnerable because I think um, they were the only playoff team besides Seattle whose power play and penalty kill was both below league average and it was only slightly i think they were like they weren't bottom 10 in any in in, in those categories mm-hmm. and of course part of it was okay they were so disciplined didn't take many penalties so they didn't get burned a lot on, on the pk but vegas's power play as well as it also hasn't been very no. uh no. very good and you look at winnipeg's uh penalty kill has been really really good this year top five and when you look at the formula for how the Jets were upset, or how the Golden Knights were upset, for example, in the 2020 bubble series against Montreal, it was okay, we're a superior 5 5 team, but the Canadians have A, Carey Price, yeah. and B, um, their penalty kill was really hot, they scored a couple shorthanded goals, they won the special teams battle, and that's where, with Winnipeg, it's like, okay, we got Connor Hellebuck, and if we can, and we, we know we have, we have a really good penalty kill, and if our power play can at least be it doesn't need to be wor- like at a world beat- beater level, but if it can at least be decent, then that's sort of our avenue to try and um, you know win the series. Well, even at five on five, the reason why I framed it that way was because like if you told me you're going to get the best wor- version of Winnipeg, where every player is playing up to their capability and they're doing what they're good at, what they did this season was they they were really good at rebounds, deflections, and kind of stuff in the middle of the ice in front of the net, which is what. Vegas prevents you from having and so they have players like Shifley like Pierre-Luc Dubois like Niederreiter like big bodies who excel in those areas that can threaten them in that way and beat whoever's starting and at it seems like it's gonna be Brossois at least to start I wouldn't be surprised if we see a number of guys for the Golden Knights throw the playoffs in net they have a chance to, to do that I just have no faith based on what we've seen this season that we are gonna get 
an extended look at that version of the Jets, right? The, their absolute best. And so that's what I'm fascinated about. Other thing is, I think this is about as big of a difference as you were talking about uh, Devils, Rangers, and how they attack off the rush. Vegas, the way they attack in transition and how they play downhill versus this Jets team, which not only bleeds a lot of rush, rush shots against, but also doesn't create anything anymore off the rush themselves. There was a time where that was their bread and butter. And then now under Rick Bonus, they've kind of become this team that just throws the puck off the boards, tries to grind it out in the offensive zone against the, against the glass, and then all of a sudden take it to the net. And so that's a stylistically, it's it's about as big of a gap as you're going to see in terms of like the way these two teams ideally want to be. Yeah, it's strange because on the one hand, Bonus came in and they've defended so much better. Their, their defensive metrics have improved a lot, right? Mm-hmm. There's obviously, Connor Halbeck has been sensational, but even outside of that, they play so much more connected in terms of their forwards and defensemen. So they've made legitimate strides there, but yeah, but it's, I think it's come at the expense. Yeah. yeah, it's come at the expense of them not like relative to the amount of talent they have. They don't score a lot, even at five on five. I think they're twenty third in the NHL and in uh, goals four, and that's where for them shifting Shifley to the wing and really loading up that top line that's worked. But now the problem is Vegas is so much deeper. Um, in terms of the scoring throughout the lineup. And it also leaves you in a situation where, okay, yeah, Winnipeg's, you know, better on the wings, but man, the Golden Knights have a huge edge down the middle. When you look at one through four, mm-hmm. um, you know, Dubois has been very good, but, you know, Eichel versus Dubois, um, Carlson versus N- Vlad Nemestikov is your second line uh, yep. center, uh, Ch- Chandler Stevenson versus Lowry. Um, versus Lowry. Yep. And then even on the fourth line for, for the Golden Knights to have Nick Waugh, who had I think like just almost forty points last uh, last season uh, was around the thirty point range uh, again this year. They've got a big edge down down the middle, and and of course Mark Stone coming back too. You know to have a third line, um, at least the way they're starting, where Stevenson Stevenson and Stone are playing together, um, that uh, that really helps them pack a punch that you know is is going to be tough, right? Because look, I like. Niederreiter and uh, and Lowry mm-hmm. in terms of like you know those guys grind and they're big bodies and they win battles and they're stout defensively, but with Lowry on the ice they're not going to create a lot of offense. Of so you know that's you know down down the middle I think is um and and in terms of overall forward depth is um you know going to be very interesting. Okay, well I'm not going to do my Nick Ehlers rant again. I've I've done enough on that. I just will say if 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 we finish the series and Mason Appleton has played more than him, I'm going <laughs> to absolutely lose my mind. So uh, yeah. I just, I'm just i giving Rick Bonus one last chance to make amends, to right his wrongs. I mean, every single issue with this team, for the most part, during that stretch where they went like 15, 17, and 2 and allowed Calgary and Nashville back into the wildcard race and made it much more interesting than it needed to be, was their offense just grinded to a complete halt. I think they were like 30th in the league in scoring during that time. And their transition is non-existent and they have this player who's like one of the best players in the league at taking the puck from point a to point b and making get creating easy opportunities for either himself or his teammates please use that guy accordingly uh you mentioned the goalie note i like obviously hellebuck has a chance to steal this series right um he's played really well this season i think in theory the types of chances that golden knights typically created in the past of like very north south off the rush predictable is something except um hellebuck excels at and just eats up the thing is, Vegas this year did a much better job under Cassidy of um, putting more of the shot share responsibility on their forwards. Like, if you look at the shot rates for all other defensemen other than Shea Theodore, they just started shooting significantly less and allowing the forwards to make plays instead. That was reflected in their high-danger passing 
tracking metrics. And so if Vegas can find ways to actually create more of those high danger looks, I think they can avoid replicating getting goalied for the fourth or fifth straight postseason they've made it. Um, but if they resort back to those old tendencies, then it could be a long series for them where Hellebuck has, you know, a 940 save percentage after six games. And you're like, wow, he was clearly the best player in that series. So I think that's something to watch. Um, we didn't mention Mark Stone's return here. Yeah. Um, I find it hilarious. Also, that- one thing I, I quickly want to mention in terms of the Ehlers thing, please let him um, generate the power play entries. Like, yeah. Please give him the yes. puck. Like, even when he's gotten – um, you know, some opportunities down the stretch. They haven't used him as much on entries, which is like, come on, he's your, he's probably your your most dynamic uh, player there, and and like they need that power play to get going. But yeah, well, just one, I don't want to have a stone conversation. It's just like, for, there's a, plenty of things to point to problems with the cap system and shenanigans about LTIR and and what the Golden Knights have done in the past. Certainly themselves in this case, having like your most important player and captain have elective back surgery to miss key games where you're competing to win the West in the regular season so that you can add Teddy Bluger, Ivan Barbashev and Jonathan quick to your lineup. I think like the, the, yeah. the math just doesn't, doesn't make sense there. Right. I think we need to have, give us some critical thought to this. So um, I hope Mark Stone is, is healthy. I hope he, he looks like the version he was at the start of this year, as opposed to the end of last year where he was clearly laboring when he came back from, from his back injury. And so fingers crossed on that. I'm excited to watch him play. Harm, we got to get out of here. I'll let you quickly plug some stuff and let the listeners know where they can check you out. Yeah, you guys can obviously check my workout at The uh, Athletic. I did a couple of playoff preview pieces um, looking at uh, every team's goaltending situation, ranking those sort of into, into tiers, and um, and then also another piece over the weekend looking at every every playoff team's biggest sort of red flag or, or worry or sort of like a what could go wrong uh, sort of thing. So, um, yeah, you, you guys can, can uh, check those uh, out. Well, I'm excited now that you're not spending so much time watching Canucks games. You can watch these playoff games and we can, uh, we can do more shows together. Looking forward to breaking all that stuff down with you. Uh, hope the listeners enjoyed today's show. Hope they enjoy all these playoff games and we'll be back tomorrow with more of the hockey PDO cast on the sports night radio network.